Hi, and welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. We have another guest episode for you today, and this one is a good one. We've got Dan Kemp, who is the Chief Research and Investment Officer, and prior to that was the Global Chief Investment Officer for Morningstar Investment Management. He's an experienced multi-asset fund manager, which means that he has his head around most asset classes that investors and listeners care about. Okay, so he's an underachiever is what you're saying yeah, in that exactly. intro. Yes. So basically in that intro, you said he was an underachiever, and you also said, this is a good one, which I think is insulting our other guests. I, I feel like I say this is a good one for all of them, but it is genuine. It, lo- it loses a little meaning <laughs> when they're all good guests, but yeah. anyway. Dan's going to join us from London, which is very nice because to make this podcast recording work, he has joined us before he has had his wheat bix I think they actually call it Weetabix over there, Mark, an extra. I barely know what wheat bix is. <laughs> um, but you did do that challenge where you tried Australian food and you gave it a rating out of 10. And I don't remember the exact rating that you gave it, but I think it was around a four, which coincidentally, is the number of years we've held the ashes consecutively. Okay. Shouldn't you wait till Dan comes on before you start? (laughs) We'll keep this civil and we'll talk a little more about Dan. So Dan's going to speak to us about threats and opportunities in the current market. And as part of this, he's going to go through the team's process for evaluating investment opportunities, first at a market level and then at an individual level. He's also going to speak a little bit about investor behavior and steps investors can take to limit poor behavior that impacts investment outcomes. He's going to speak about current threats that investors need to pay attention to in the market, and then about opportunities that they should be paying attention to. And lastly, there are a few factors that are impacting the profits of companies. So Dan will go through these factors and then speaks about what investors can look for in companies that indicate that they're able to protect their earnings. And we're really excited about this episode and the insights that Dan can offer. So we hope that there are some takeaways for you as well that you can use when building, maintaining and monitoring your portfolio in the current environment. All right. So, Dan, thank you very much for joining. We did a little bit of an introduction to you during the introduction of this podcast, but maybe if you just want to talk a little bit about your role at Morningstar, that would be helpful for listeners. Mark, hello. Yes, it is great to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, So, my role at Morningstar is that I'm the Chief Research and Investment Officer. So, uh, my job is to look after our researchers and our investment managers around the world and try and bring together all of our insights to help investors reach their goals, whether that's uh, the the goals of using our research to make their own investments uh, or allowing us to manage their portfolio for them. Okay, great. So I'm going to ask a a big loaded question at the beginning, but Morningstar Investment Management, when you're looking for investment opportunities, how do you evaluate if a particular market or sector is attractive? And then how do you find those individual market opportunities? So kind of, is it a top-down approach, bottom-up approach, a little bit of both? How do you uh, how do you go about that? 
Yes, you're absolutely right. That is a really big question. Uh, so the way that we think about it is to take a step back and think about what really investment is all about. And as I mentioned, it's it's about helping people reach their goals. Uh, some people uh, just have spare money to invest, but for most people, uh, we know they're saving towards something. They might be saving towards their retirement or to send their children to university or to pay off a mortgage or whatever it is, they're saving towards a goal. And so the most important thing when we think about investment is what's the best way of getting someone towards that goal? And there's really two parts to that. The first is that you want the highest return possible. Uh, so that shortens the time taken to reach that goal. Uh, or the second thing is that uh, you want to minimize the amount of risk you take to reach that goal. Uh, as human beings, we're not very good at coping with the ups and downs of, of markets. Uh, some of us are better than others. Uh, some of us are able to accept more risk than others. And so having the right level of risk in portfolios is really important. So we start from that very high level. How do we maximize the amount of return we can expect per unit of risk uh, that we take on behalf of investors. And all of the academic evidence going back a long way has shown that one of the best ways of doing that consistently over a long period of time is to think about valuation. And what that means is uh, if you can buy something at a discount to what it's truly worth, uh, and if you can avoid those assets that are overpriced because everyone's really enthusiastic about them, uh, then uh, you're able to improve that overall return uh, for each unit of, of risk you ex uh, accept. So uh, whenever we're thinking about an investment, whether it's a uh, an individual company or an entire market, uh, we focus on valuation. And we spend a lot of time thinking about what a company or an asset is really worth. Uh, and of course, higher quality assets are worth uh, much more uh, than uh, the lower quality assets. Uh, and so we, th we think through that lens of working out what an asset is, is worth uh, and then trying to find opportunities uh, where assets are underpriced, whether that's a, say that's a company or a market. You can do this in a scalable level. And so we, we look at each, uh, each market, each uh, security uh, at a time uh, to find the most attractive and then uh, we put them all together into a portfolio. And when building a, a portfolio, the, the, the key is to try and make sure that, that portfolio is robust to a range of possible outcomes. So often uh, when investing, we get a bit overconfident uh, and we just focus on one possible outcome. We decide that uh, we think the, the economy is going to get better or it's going to get worse. And so we position the portfolio just for that outcome. Whereas actually when building a portfolio of uh, good value companies, uh, then uh, the, the key is to make sure that portfolio can survive a range of, uh, of possible outcomes, economic outcomes, political outcomes, and continue to deliver for investors long into the future. Okay, and we're, we'll get into areas that you see as overvalued and undervalued in, in a little bit. But, you know, one, one thing then, you know, I like this question, and then there's parts of it that I don't love about this question. But you know, it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty right now, and there's hmm. certainly uncertainty around where interest rates are going. If inflation's coming down, there's geopolitical issues that people are dealing with as they're trying to analyze markets. Um, how how should we think about that uncertainty as investors? Because you know, I think it always exists, but hmm. it particularly can feel 
I guess at a time, very, very uncertain. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way right now. Yeah, Mark, you, you absolutely put your finger on it there where you said that uh, there's always uncertainty. Uh, the, the, the genuine definition of uncertainty is operating in an environment where not only do we not know uh, which outcome will happen, but we don't even know the range of possible outcomes. And that's the environment that we operate in every day, all of us. Uh, although we uh, think we know what's going to happen uh, ahead of us, in reality, uh, there are constantly events that come out of us uh, that surprise us uh, and remind us that we live in this uncertain world. And so we've seen it most, uh, most recently in, in geopolitics, of course, and the terrible conflicts that we see around, around the world. Uh, but equally, uh, we've seen it in economies and financial markets uh, going back uh, over the last uh, last 15 years, the, the financial crisis was a, a surprise to, to most. So we're constantly being surprised. And so one of the most dangerous uh, things that we can do as, as investors is assume that we know what the future holds. It's a very, very tempting way of, of thinking uh, that if we can only correctly forecast the future, uh, then uh, we can build the ideal portfolio. Uh, but unfortunately, that's that's impossible. And even if we think about the future in terms of, of uh, probabilities, and that's the right way of investing, that still uh, allows ample room for us to be surprised. And so from an investor's point of view, the most important thing is to understand that you are going to be surprised on your investment journey. There's no way around that. Uh, there's going to be economic shocks and political shocks and all these other things. Uh, that are going to come at you. And it's the way that you respond to that surprise, the way that you respond to that uncertainty uh, that's that's so important. Uh, the most successful investors are the ones that can uh, uh, deal with that uncertainty, can overcome it, and can remain invested, remain focused on the long term. The least successful investors, unfortunately, are those that, uh, are, when they're surprised by this uncertainty, they then make decisions that they then go on to regret. And and maybe let's let's talk about because there is, as you said, there's so much potential bad news out there, or real bad news out there that uh, that obviously that can lead to poor investor decision making. Are there any, I guess, kind of opportunities and under the radar things that you think we're missing as investors when we're so focused on this negativity? Yes, that's ex exactly the right way of, of thinking about it, uh, that we have to be balanced in the way that we think about the future. Uh, sometimes it can feel really smart if we are very skeptical about what the future holds, very skeptical about what's going on, uh, very skeptical about the ability of companies to, to grow and deliver into, into the future. Uh, and, and that's often a weakness of uh, people like me that think a lot about value, uh, that you can you can get yourself into a negative frame of thinking if you're if you're not careful. And we know uh, that there are great businesses out there, uh, that there are opportunities for for businesses, uh, that there's um, that there's positive uh, events going going on. And it's important that our perception of those and our search for those is not clouded uh, by all this all this negativity. So to give you an example. Probably my favorite example at the moment is that people, uh, economists, even central bankers have been expecting a global recession 
for a long period of time. And every time we get to another another quarter, we get to a new set of results, uh, then those expectations are, are pushed back. Uh, and the economists tend to keep their view that there's going to be a recession. They just push it later. Uh, and what that's really saying is that they were too pessimistic about the quarter that has just gone past, uh, but they're remaining pessimistic uh, about the uh, the path ahead of us. Now, in reality, that should show us uh, that often uh, the economy, uh, often uh, the investing world turns out to be better than we expected to be, particularly when we're surrounded by these these terrible events and uh, all of the uh, all of the other concerns, whether it be inflation, whether it's been the, the high cost of living that people are experiencing. There's there's lots of uh, bad things happening, uh, but that can cloud our judgment and lead us to miss the, the the good things going on. So from that more positive perspective, uh, then we can say that uh, there's plenty of economies around the world that are doing absolutely fine, and, and within those are companies that are making good profits. We've just uh, ended what we call, or we're about to end rather, the uh, reporting season in the US. Uh, so in the US, every three months, uh, all businesses uh, report uh, how they've done over the previous quarter. Uh, and that's just coming to an end now for the third quarter in the US. And when you look at those results, what you see is that there was a lot of surprise on the upside. Uh, the companies generally did much better than expected. That's the sort of positivity uh, that we can forget if we just focus on the, the headlines that we see every day uh, and all of the bad news that we're surrounded by. Okay, and before we, we sort of get into valuations, kind of one more question. Running, running a company is hard in the best of times. And obviously, you know, we, we've seen a challenging environment, I think, for companies in general, because Obviously, the cost of going out and borrowing money has gone up. Um, inflation can change, of course, buying patterns of consumers can change certainly the cost along a supply chain. I guess when we're looking for these companies that you were mentioning earlier that can perform well throughout any market environment and over long periods of time, what are some attributes of great companies that, that you particularly look for when you're, you're thinking about investment opportunities? Yeah, like again, that, that is absolutely core to the investment process because when you think about valuation, uh, then the right uh, amount to pay for a share of a particular business will depend on, as you say, that quality of the business. Uh, if the business is very high quality, then it's clearly worth a lot more uh, than a business that is low quality. And we've seen that particularly in the in the tech space over uh, the last decade or so that uh, great businesses have been recognized uh, for the opportunities that they have. And we've seen the, the price of those businesses uh, rocket. Now, uh, arguably at times they've, they've gone uh, too high and, and too far, uh, but nevertheless, that's a demonstration of how when you find quality businesses, uh, they're worth a lot more. Now, the question you asked is, how uh, do you identify these quality businesses? And we have a, a pretty disciplined framework here at Morningstar. We uh, look for companies with what we call moats. And that sounds a bit odd, uh, but it is based on uh, something that Warren Buffett said a long time ago, when he said that when he looks for companies, uh, he thinks of them as being a bit like castles, uh, and he wants them to be as defensible as possible. So when he thinks about a business, he thinks about the competitive pressures that they face, thinks about the other uh, challenges of operating in a dynamic environment, and he wants really strong businesses 
that are difficult for others to attack. And so he doesn't just want high walls, as he puts it. We don't just want high walls. We want a business with a wide moat around it uh, that makes it impregnable uh, to uh, competitors. And there are uh, various uh, different types of sources of, of that moat. So uh, in some cases, a business might have a, um, uh, a much lower cost uh, manufacturing uh, process, which is very difficult to, to replicate. Uh, in others, it might be uh, that they have intellectual property or permissions, regulatory permissions, that are very difficult to, to replicate. So we look for businesses with those really strong moats. And we, we publish this research. Anyone uh, uh, who, who uh, subscribes to our research is able to, to see how we think about, uh, about these businesses and where we think they derive their, their moat. And when we, when we find those moats, uh, what that means to us is they're likely to deliver a higher return for shareholders over the next uh, 10 or, or 20 years. And if they deliver a higher return for shareholders, then they deserve to have a higher valuation than a business uh, that doesn't have a moat. They can easily be uh, competed away uh, by an, another strong another strong business or, or, or a difficult sector or, or difficult market conditions. So we're looking for those, those uh, high quality, strong businesses. And even then, we want to find ones that are undervalued. That's what our analysts have spent a lot of time doing, finding these, these strong businesses and then identifying the ones that are priced below what we think their fair value is. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. And stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. All right, so I've teased this throughout the uh, throughout the podcast so far talking about what and you can pick markets or sectors or individual companies I guess where is your team and where are you finding cheap valuations since you talked about how big of a role that should play in the investment process so if we look at the current market yeah where where are some of these cheap valuations yeah absolutely it's a really interesting market at the moment because for for most of the last uh, the last decade or so, uh, there's been particular markets that have become unloved. Uh, and in, in that environment, we can look at uh, whether it's a particular industry sector uh, or a particular market. And there's been a lot of negative sentiment, a lot of negative news around that, that market or that sector. Uh, and that's provided a, a really good opportunity. So as we go back through time, uh, energy companies in the early part of, of 2020 were Great example. You remember uh, that the energy price went uh, negative uh, briefly uh, one afternoon uh, that uh, technically a company would pay you uh, to take oil uh, away from them. And so uh, that was a, an idea in terms of people's perception of energy companies. 
companies. And as we looked at energy companies in 2020, what we did, what we saw was that there were some very good companies in that market, uh, but they'd probably been using the earnings uh, that they'd uh, they received from selling oil, selling energy, uh, not as well as they could have done. Uh, and we took the view that providing management of those businesses did the right things, uh, that they were careful about their investment, they were careful about um, paying back their debts, that actually uh, energy companies could be could be a great opportunity. And that was a, amidst all of the, the noise around the terrible COVID pandemic and, uh, and as I say, the uh, concerns about what the um, OPEC, the big oil cartel, were doing. Uh, and so we were enthusiastic about, about energy companies at, at that point, and, uh, and you'll have seen how well they've done in the, in the interview few years. So that's an example of uh, in the past, we've been able to find a particular market. Another example is uh, the UK equity market. Now, obviously, you're going to assume that I'm biased here because I'm sat in London. Uh, but in reality, uh, we cover about uh, 500 different uh, asset classes and markets and different types of bonds and companies around the world. Uh, and uh, our analysts identified the UK as being a really unloved uh, market, both uh, partly because of the, the, the Brexit uh, vote that we had uh, a few years ago and the fallout of that, uh, but also because of the type of companies that are listed on the UK market and make up the index there. It's, it's a lot of old-fashioned, uh, unloved uh, business types, uh, a, lot of, a lot of banks and financials and energy companies and miners I mentioned. Uh, and so the, the UK is really an unloved market. Again, that's, that's a, an example of where we found a market uh, as, a, as a whole that looks, um, uh, that, that looks unloved, that looks good value. We're now in a slightly different environment in that as we look across the world, there are fewer pockets of extreme undervaluation. Uh, there's fewer pockets of extreme overvaluation. Even if we look at the, at the, UK, at the US market, rather, which um, uh, looked quite expensive to us um, a couple of years ago, even that market now uh, looks less expensive. It doesn't, in in the view of our uh, of our analysts across the world, look incredibly cheap. It looks a little bit undervalued as a whole. But within that, there are pockets of value. Now, those pockets of value exist in different sectors um, at an individual company level, and that's true across the world. It's true in Australia as well. Uh, that if you look at the the market as a whole, there are some sectors. That look more attractively priced than others, but it's really when you dive in to those sectors, you find individual companies uh, that uh, that represent the, the real value. So we seem to be moving or have moved from an environment where uh, the, the key thing was to pick uh, uh, markets and, and sectors and you could find the, the best value there uh, to having to uh, look a little bit deeper at individual companies, uh, smaller parts of the market. And this is where not only having a, a big team is, is quite important so that you can cover the, the waterfront in terms of, of looking at, uh, uh, look, looking at those, those opportunities. And so um, having, that, uh, having that research available is, is, is really important. Uh, but also potentially opportunities for active managers. Uh, and as you know, active managers have gone really out of favor uh, over the last decade or so. It's been very difficult to beat market indices, particularly uh, in the US and the, and the global indices. Uh, but when we're in an environment where we see a lot of differential at the individual company level, uh, then actually active managers have some great opportunities. So that's a, quite a big shift we've seen over the last, uh, last few months and uh, last couple of years. All right. Great, Dan. Well, thank you very much for joining me, joining us, 
sure everyone really appreciate hearing your insights. I guess, number one, how to think about markets, some of the behavioral issues we have, and of course, opportunities today. So I really appreciate it. The listeners, I'm sure appreciate it, but thank you very much for joining. Well, thanks, Mark. It was great to be with you. Great. And thank you everyone else for listening. As always, we would love any comments or ratings in your podcast app. And thanks for listening to Investing Compass. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.